All right, brothers and sisters, let's open our Bibles together once again. We are going to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Here in just a moment, we'll start in verse 35. Mark 4, 35. The Lord knows what his people need and when they need it. The Lord knows what his people need and he knows when they need it. It has only been four years since I began preaching every single week. Before I came here to Columbia Christian, I I preached and I, I taught regularly. But it was only when I came here that I began to preach every single week. And I decided that we were going to, almost all of the time, preach through books of the Bible. Why? Well, because God sets the agenda. God sets the the. The, the text for the next week, when you preach through a book of the Bible, yeah, I've got to choose what book we go through. But the next text for the next week, well, that, that's just what the next text is. And in the Lord's providence, in the Lord's secret wisdom, he knows who's going to be there. He knows who's going to be in the pews that week. He knows what they are going to be going through in a way that even I do not. He knows what his people need when they need it. We have seen over and over again, throughout these last four years at least I have seen, people who, who say, that was exactly what I needed today. That was exactly what I needed in my life and with what was going on when, when I had no clue what was going on in their lives. But the Lord knew exactly what they needed and brought that text to bear on their life that Sunday. When I make my way through this sermon manuscript today, you are going to think that me and Joey Kahn, who was just up here doing our communion meditation, you are going to think that we planned this out together and we have not spoken about this at all. And it is exactly, exactly fit together. You'll see what I mean here in just a second. But today, in the Lord's secret wisdom and providence, our text is the story of Jesus calming the storm So I wonder why. I wonder why. What is it about this particular story that you need today? The Lord knows. He knew you would be sitting here. He knew I would be preaching here on this day, March 21st, 2023. He knew it before you were born. He knew it before the foundations of the earth. He knew what you would be going through in your life today. He knows what we need and when we need it. This is the expectation we should have each week as we come to God's word, that God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And so it is with that expectation that we turn to our passage this morning, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. This is God's word. Mark writes, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Today I want to draw your attention to four things in this passage, beginning with the first few verses. Verses 35 through 37 show us that following Christ does not exempt us from storms. Following Christ does not exempt us from storms. Notice what happens here. It is Jesus who says to the disciples, let us go to the other side. And so they are in this storm because of him. They are in this storm because they are following him. And so following Jesus does not exempt you from the storms of life. Notice in verse 36, a small detail that might stick out to you, it did to me, might confuse you at first, but I, I want to kind of dispel us of being confused or distracted on this. Verse 36 says, in leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Why does it say just as he was there? Well, there's all kinds of conjecture, but I think the, the simplest and best explanation is that he was already in the boat. He didn't have to get out of the boat and then come back into the boat. He was already in the boat. Because if you look back at chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, it says he began to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And so he's already in the boat. He doesn't have to get out and then come back in. He's already there. They take him just as he was. He's already there. But the disciples go with him, and they are in this storm because they are following Jesus. They are in this storm because he has said, let us go to the other side. He suggested it. And so following Jesus, brothers and sisters, means sometimes you are going to experience storms. Following Jesus does not exempt us from the storms of this life. Following Jesus does not mean your troubles go away. Now, some of us sit here and say, well, of course, of course, absolutely, duh, we know that. We know that following Jesus means we'll still experience suffering and trials. But some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us are tempted to get upset at God when suffering comes. Some of us are tempted to get upset at God when it comes, as if our relationship with him is transactional. We worship him, and then he makes our life comfortable and enjoyable. If we hold up our end of the bargain, then he is required to hold up his. And when he doesn't, we get bitter. That bitterness rises in us when things go wrong in life. And for some of us, this is the very reason why we get upset when we don't get, in our, way. We don't get our way. Think about it. We don't get our way. Things go wrong. And we, in our hearts, we might not say this out loud, but in our hearts we're saying, God was supposed to give me peace. I'm supposed to have peace if I follow Christ. Why is this going wrong? Why am I having a bad day? Why am I suffering? I worship him. Why isn't he doing what he's supposed to do? We wouldn't say it out loud, but if we're honest with each other, if we're honest with ourselves, dangerously honest this morning, sometimes that's the very reason we get upset when things go wrong. J.C. Ryle writes, Here were the twelve disciples 
in the path of duty. They were obediently following Jesus wherever he went. They were daily attending on his ministry and hearkening to his word. They were daily testifying to the world that whatever scribes and Pharisees might think, they believed on Jesus. They loved Jesus and were not ashamed to give up all for his sake. And yet here we see these men in trouble, tossed up and down by a tempest and in danger of being drowned. Following Jesus does not exempt us from the storms of life. We are never promised that if we come to Jesus, life will always be peaceful. Life will always be comfortable. Do not be surprised if you are following Christ and yet the Lord allows you to experience sickness, grief, disappointments, bad days, just like the rest of the world. Do not be surprised when these things come. Do not, in your heart, get upset because God was supposed to protect you from that stuff. God was supposed to give you peace. No, brothers and sisters. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. Jesus said the the, the servant is not above his master. If the master suffers, the servants will too. If the master was persecuted, we will be too. God did not protect his most beloved son from suffering. Who are we to think he would protect us from all suffering? No, we are not exempt just because we are following Jesus. But in the end, the difference between following Christ and just living in the world without God, the difference is, in the end, our suffering will be for our good. You see, without God, suffering cannot serve a greater purpose. Without God, suffering just keeps you from all of the things that you want to accomplish and want to attain. And so without God, when you experience suffering in this world, well, it's devastating. It's devastating because it removes all of the things that you thought life was all about. But with God, suffering and trials can be for our good. God will use our suffering and our trials to grow us to mature us, to refine us, and to purify us. He tells us this in his word. We know that all things work together for the good of those whom God loves, who are called according to his purpose. We know that. In the end, we will say with David in Psalm 119, it was good for me that I was afflicted. In the end, we will all say that. All of those who hold their faith in Christ to the end, all of those who truly are following Jesus, in the end, we will all say it was good for me that I was afflicted. Rankin Wilborn wrote an excellent book called Union with Christ. came out maybe 10 years ago. And in that book, he says, one day you may find yourself washed up on the shore of a far country by a way you would have never wished to travel. And yet you find that this is not a place you want to leave. You realize it's the place you've always wanted to be, though you've never been here before. You never would have chosen the storms it took to bring you here. They were too hard, too painful, too overwhelming to ever choose them willfully. You'd never want to go through that again. But now that these storms have brought you here, you can never go back to where you were, even if the days were sunlit and the waters smooth. Some of us can attest to that today in our own lives. Do you believe it? 
that the storms that God allows us to experience may eventually take us exactly where we want to be, though we would have never chosen the means to get there if it was up to us, because they'd be too hard, too tough, too much suffering. And so following Christ, brothers and sisters, does not exempt you from suffering or from trials. But second, I want you to see in our passage that God cares about our suffering. God cares about our suffering. Now, look at verse 38 with me once more. Verse 38, in this storm that is so big, the boat is starting to sink. Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the middle of this. Amazing. Asleep on the cushion in the stern. They wake him up and they say to him, teacher, do you not care? That we are perishing. Don't you care? You're sleeping. Don't you even care? Do you ever feel like God doesn't really care about your suffering? Have you ever felt like that? God God does not care about what I am going through. David felt it. David felt it and wrote about it in the Psalms. Listen to these words from Psalm 10, verse 1, where David says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's David. Or just a few Psalms later, David, writing in Psalm 13, starting in verse 1, says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David felt it. Do you even care, God? Where are you? C.S. Lewis actually felt it keenly when his wife died. He writes in a book called A Grief Observed, he writes, Go to God when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Do you find that honesty refreshing in church? In a place where it seems like we're supposed to say God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. That's what we're supposed to believe. And so even when I don't believe that, I have to put on a face and act like I do. Even when I'm in the midst of suffering and it seems like God does not care, I have to put a face on and act like I really actually believe he does. Sometimes it can feel like we are in agony or in extreme distress and God is just sleeping. Sleeping. Not a care in the world. Meanwhile, I'm suffering down here. He's just aloof to it. Or if he knows about it, he doesn't give a rip. Jesus here was actually in control the whole time. He was in control the whole time. And understand, if you 
read the Gospels, you will see clearly he cared more about these men than just about anyone in the entire world. These were his disciples, his apostles. He cared more about these guys than just about anyone. So of course he cared. They say, don't you care? Of course he cared. He loved them dearly. But sometimes it is hard for us to see that God cares. Sometimes it's hard for us to see it. As if God must care for us in the way that we demand or expect. Think about that. When we feel like God doesn't care, when we feel like God's not paying attention, it is as if we are saying, God, you must care for me in the way that I want you to. And then when you don't, I'll get upset about it. You see, God's care does not mean he shields us from all suffering or distress. God's care doesn't mean that. But how fickle and impatient we can be when at the first sign of trouble we turn and blame God for not caring about us. When in fact, those troubles might be in our lives because he cares about us. The Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, didn't take but just a a few days it seems. After they came through the Red Sea and they had seen God's glory in delivering them by the ten plagues. It seems like it was just a few days when they start grumbling and complaining. We don't have any food and any water. Have you brought us out here to kill us, God? Complaining, they're they're blaming God for their situation. Now understand this. There's great peace to be found here if we have the eyes to see it. Great peace. God gave us passages like Psalm 10. And Psalm 13, and this passage right here where Jesus is sleeping and they say, do you even care? God gave us these passages. What do we believe about about this, about the Bible? We believe it is God's words. And so when David writes in Psalm 10, where are you, God? When David writes in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Those aren't just David's words. They're God's words. What does that mean? It means God knew we would need them. God knew that there would be times when it feels like he didn't care. God knew that we would experience those times. And he gives us a voice to go to him with words of scripture, with his own words to come to him. He gives us recognition. He doesn't just swat away the feelings that we have and say, you shouldn't be feeling that. Stop it. He doesn't say that. He gives a voice to it. In Scripture, God-inspired Scripture that he has given to us as a gift, giving voice to what we are going through. He acknowledges our frustrations. He gives legitimacy to them. Our frustrations, even our doubts, he understands. He understands because he put this stuff here and he gave it to us. He knows there will be times when it seems like he doesn't care, but he does, brothers and sisters. He always does. He always cares about the trials and the sufferings of his children. His children. Are you a child of God today? There are only some who can say that. Not everyone in the world can call God their father. It is only those who have come to him through his son Jesus Christ and been adopted into his family. It is only those that can say, God is my father. I am his child. And God cares deeply about his children. He is a better father than the best father on earth 
by a hundred million miles. He cares. God cares about our suffering. But not only does God care about our suffering, Jesus, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our storms, Jesus gives us peace. Jesus gives us peace. Jesus is the one who calmed the storm here. And Jesus is the one who gives us peace. How do we have peace in Jesus? Well, Jesus' authority gives us peace. Here, Jesus spoke and his words caused the wind and the waves to die down. His authority gave them peace. He had authority over his creation. Jesus' authority gives us peace today. When Jesus speaks to the disciples before he ascends up into heaven, in that great commission at the end of Matthew, and he says to them, go and make disciples, well, right before that he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then at the end of it he says, and I will be with you as you go. I will be with you to the very end of the age. And so the one who has all authority is with us. Because if you are in Christ today, his spirit is inside of you. His spirit dwells in you. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ dwells inside of all believers who have truly come to Christ and been born again. And so if he is with us, and he's the one who has all authority, there's peace in that. There's peace in the midst of the storms that he allows. Because the one who has all authority, authority over those storms, he is with us in the midst of them. He's in the boat with the disciples. He's not somewhere else. He's in the boat with them. And so Jesus' authority gives us peace. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God, who rules over all, is for us, what do we have to fear? But Jesus' death also gives us peace. Jesus' death gives us peace. Because on the cross, as Joey spoke about earlier, Jesus too felt like God didn't care. Jesus too reached a point to where he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken. He wasn't mistaken, he was forsaken. He was truly forsaken. He didn't feel as if God had forsaken him and God really hadn't. No, he really had. He was truly alone. And ultimately, Jesus was truly forsaken on the cross so that we would know that we are never forsaken. Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we would know we are never forsaken. That we would know God will never leave us or forsake us. Notice, When the disciples come to Jesus, they say, don't you care that we are perishing? We see that very same word, care, used by one of those men inside that boat asking Jesus if he cared. We see that very same word, care, used in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. This is Peter who was in the boat asking that question, do you care? In 1 Peter 5, 7, that same Peter says that we are to be casting all of our anxieties on him Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. See, in the boat, Peter's asking, Lord, do you even care? And after the resurrection and Jesus has already ascended up into heaven, Peter is writing, you bet he cares. 
I know he cares. I've experienced it. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares. He cares for you. It's the same word for care there. Peter knows, and we should know too, God cares. Through Jesus' death, we have peace. Through his death, we have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 through 2. We have peace with God through Christ. Christ has made a way for us to have peace with God. Before you come to Christ, you don't have peace with God. Anyone in the world who has not come to God through Christ, they do not have peace with him. They are enemies of God. They stand as an enemy of God, even if they they wouldn't say it like that. Even if they they, they say, no, I'm, I'm neutral. There is no neutral. If you don't come through Christ, you're an enemy of God. You do not have peace with him. And perhaps the greatest motivation that we should have to be born again and to be saved and to help others to do so as well is that when you come through Christ, you are made right with God. And that is the one thing that we need when Christ returns. That is the one thing that we're going to need at Judgment Day is to be at peace with God because all who are not will be sentenced accordingly. Jesus' death puts us at peace with God. We become God's children. He becomes our father. And like we said, he is the very best father. He cares about his children. He's going to take care of his children. But finally, Jesus' words give us peace. His authority gives us peace. His death gives us peace. But his words, his words give us peace. What did Jesus say to the wind and the sea? Verse 39, he said, peace, be still. Peace be still. And just as Jesus says this to the sea, God is saying it to each and every one of us today in our own hearts. God says to you and to your heart, peace, be still. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, You guys aren't like a little kindergarten class. I don't have to constantly tell you to quit wiggling and be still, right? You're adults. But that's not what this means. It means be still in here. In this moment, right now, God is speaking to you and saying, be still. Be still and know that I am God. In your heart, can you be still? And know that he is God. As he says it to me, as he says it to you, be still. And we quiet our hearts. And we put away everything else. And through the eyes of our hearts, we see him. And only him. Can we be still? And simply know that he is God. That is where true peace comes from. To know that he is God. Because if you know that he is God, nothing else can touch you. If you know that he is God, nothing else matters. If you know that he is on his throne and he is in control, our task is to trust him 
Because just as Jesus says to the wind and the waves, peace be still, God says to our hearts this morning, be still. Know that I am God. And so I end with a question. What have we to fear? What have we to fear? Now you might think where I'm going with this is, well, because God is on his throne and because Jesus gives us peace, we don't have anything to fear. There's nothing to fear. What have we to fear? Nothing. No. No, that is not where we're going. We're going to verses 40 and 41. Where Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, when the storms came up, they were afraid. And Jesus calmed them down. Jesus made them be still. But what's verse 41 say? It says, then they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were afraid before, but when the wind and the waves calmed down and they saw the one who made that happen with just a word, then they were filled with great fear. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Because even the wind and the waves obey this man. And so, what I'm challenging you with today is to fear God and not the storms of this world. Fear God. Don't fear the storms of this world. There is so much out there in this world that you could fear. There is so much out there to bring worry and anxiety to our minds and to our hearts. There are enemies of God and of his people on every side, it seems. What about our needs? What about money? Will we have enough? Nothing is certain. I could lose my job, we say. The economy could tank. The housing market might crash. Will the government go farther in its opposition to Christianity? Every other day on the news, there's another shooting. What about my health? What about the health of my loved ones? But Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You cannot even begin to have wisdom until you fear God. Do you want peace? Grow in your fear of the Lord. In Psalm 2, it says that the nations rage. It's a commentary on our world. The nations are raging, right? And not just politically, while they are, not just with wars, they are. But the the nations rage. This world outside rages. It rages against God. It rages against his people. It rages with danger and uncertainty. But then Psalm 2 verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. He's laughing at the raging of the nations. Those little nations that think they are so big and so important. We have come to believe that this stuff around us is what matters. It's a lie. But we've come to swallow it and believe it. This stuff around us is what matters. We've come to believe the illusion that men have power. No. No, brothers and sisters, God is on his throne 
And he is working all things to the counsel of his will for his perfect purposes. He is setting up kings and kingdoms and tearing down kings and kingdoms like a toddler playing with his Legos. He is in control. And instead of fearing all of the the materialistic things around us, may we fear God. The one who controls it all. Instead of worrying about what may happen to you tomorrow, why are you not worried about what may happen to you or your neighbor in eternity? Because we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will all be sentenced by God himself. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so the disciples see Jesus say, peace be still. The wind and the waves die down, and then they're really afraid. Because this man right next to us, who knows my heart, who knows my life, even the wind and the waves obey him. And if the wind and the waves obey him, how much more should I obey him when he says to me in my heart, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's where I'd like to leave it this morning. Here in just a moment, Dwayne's going to come and play for us instrumentally for just a little bit. As he does, it's a time that we give for reflective, silent prayer. And we ask each person to go to the Lord and respond to whatever he has laid on your heart. Speak with him from your heart. Deal with God. Be real with him. Be vulnerable. Be honest with God in this moment. But respond to what he has laid on your heart through his word. And then after we each do that for just a few moments individually, we'll have a time of invitation where anyone who needs to respond to God's word publicly can do so. So let's pray for a few moments.